Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19. 19! Of Comfort Films. Mm-hmm. 19 is one of our favorite weird songs by Phil Lynott during his solo career. Yes, it is. I so love we it. just kept singing 19 before we hit record. Yeah. Hopefully that's out of our system, but no guarantees. I don't know. With Phil Lynott, there's always some more gas in the tank for me, you know? <laughs> yes, I do know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, 19. I can't believe we made it this far. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. I'm proud of us. I am. We're Good almost job. out of the teens. Wow. This is our last teen episode. Our podcast is going to be able to drink soon. Yeah, that's true. It can wow. already buy smokes. It can like buy smokes? Last week. Wow. I mean, it came legal just in time for James Bond, which yeah. was very lucky. Oh, yeah, with James Bond, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we had a great James Bond week overall. Yeah, a lot of fun with some folks. Tons of stuff happening on the Instagram page. We did a full bracket battle mm-hmm. to determine the very best James Bond episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, not episode movie and well it's kind of like an episode well it's it is kind of like yeah good yeah. thank you for turning my mistake into you know something not a mistake um yeah so we we ended up doing this whole vote and interestingly enough casino royale won yes it did um and there were it wasn't just us voting even no a um, lot of people showed up for this, yeah. and I got to meet a lot of different James Bond fans yeah. throughout the process of these polls. Which is really exciting was for great. you, because you're like a big fan of the Bond series. Certainly am, yeah. Um, and it was just a lot of fun seeing what people really like, mm-hmm. you know, being morally offended at some of their choices, like <laughs> how poor Moonraker went down in the first round. and yeah. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, same thing. One of our favorites. I know. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, that one hurt me deeply. I really didn't expect for it to fall so early. Moonraker. Yeah, one of our friends like tried to start a hashtag justice for Moonraker. (laughs) Yes, yes. Our good friend Danny Zelliger. Thank you. Thank you. There will be justice for Moonraker. And we we agree. We almost watch Moonraker just in, you know... Uh, honor mm-hmm. of its death in our poll. Yeah. Well, it's because we love Jaws and we love that nice romantic ending for Jaws. <laughs> yeah. He goes off into space with someone that he loves. It's great. It was kind of ridiculous, but it's hilarious and fun mm-hmm. and a real weird departure, but in a good way. So yeah. we enjoy that one. Campy, sure, but that's fine. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting though to see what people like and don't like Mm -hmm. a lot of Brosnan fans. There were a lot of Brosnan fans um, out there. And a lot of Craig fans, obviously. So that was really interesting. We almost had a Craig off. We did. Three of our four finalists were Craig's. Yeah. Right at the last minute, it was like, it's 50%. Then it went up. Then it went down. It was like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're going to have to do a runoff. We thought we were, but yeah. it was because on one side we had Skyfall versus Casino Royale. Casino Royale won. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we had From Russia with Love and No Time to Die, which was really surprising and great Yeah, that so many people have seen it and so many people love it. Mm-hmm. But that one was really down to the wire. It sure was. But we were like holding our breath, hoping somebody would vote. 
And when they did, it was great, but it was really a nail biter because someone would vote, it would break the tie, and then someone else would vote, bringing it back to the tie. Yeah. So it was really down to the last few minutes yeah. that we came out with a, with a clear winner. And that was from Russia with Love. So mm-hmm. we ended up having a Connery movie versus a Craig movie. Yeah. And Casino Royale came out on top. Yeah. I mean, for us, we did say last week that's really our favorite. Um, but Skyfall's really close behind. We watched Skyfall again, actually, um, and it was so good. It's it's excellent. And Honor Majesty's Secret Service is such a good one, too. Those those are the top three, I think, for me. They always change, but having gone back and, you know, Casino Royale, yes, I think you're number one. And and Skyfall, man, I mean, are you one or we, you two? I don't we know. We debated it on the way into yeah. work. We were like debating which one we think is better and and kind of why. Um, and we went through a lot of reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, I think Goldeneye might be my third, but I have to watch that one in Secret Service again. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I also have a, a soft spot for the spy who loved me. I, I really like that, that ski stunt at the beginning. Wow, every time. I love the character of Jaws. And then, of course, we talked Moonraker. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the finish for Jaws' story, which is a nice finish. Yeah. And how often do you get that? <laughs> Not very, a James Bond. <laughs> no, especially for, for a, a person that starts as a villain. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but he, it, yeah, it, that, that's a really fun one, and I, that character is really fun. Yeah. But overall, I think we had a really good week. Sure did. Really immersed ourselves in James Bond lore for mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. Um, and we've just had a ton of fun with it. Yeah. So it ended up being a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and I hope that you guys were able to participate in that a little bit, whether mm-hmm. it was just listening to the podcast episode or just jumping on Insta and looking at some of our stories and, and being able to vote in the polls. Um, it was a great time, and there were a lot of good discussions. Yeah, it, it was nice to be able to meet new folks Yeah, and chat up movies. That's what we like doing. So this week, uh, we didn't tease anything about what we were doing. No. Because um, we weren't really sure. But <laughs> <laughs> It's the truth. We were like, what do we want to do? I'm not sure. Let's see. But fatefully, mm-hmm. um, I realized that another huge fandom thing... Uh, was happening here in L.A., and we only had a few more weeks to catch it. So it was a Star Trek exhibit going on at Skirball Cultural Center, Mm -hmm. and it's only going on through February 20th. And it's something I knew about, but it's been closed on and off because of COVID. So they just opened back up on the 1st. We were able to get in today, and we decided to celebrate... Star Trek fandom, which is more of a Georgia fandom, um, whereas James Bond is more of a John fandom, Mm -hmm. by going to this exhibit and also doing a little bit of a double feature-ish kind of thing of watching the original series episode Space Seed, which establishes the character of Khan Noonien Singh, and the movie Star Trek II... The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of using this as a little gateway into a Star Trek discussion, um, which knowing me could go on and on and on for a very long time. 
Uh, I talk about Star Trek way too much. There is so much there. <laughs> There's so much information. It's all very interesting. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, as I grew up, I was not initially a person that was fully on board with Star Trek. I had friends that got me into Star Trek. I was Star Wars all the way, still a Star Wars guy, but then they turned me on to the beauty of Star Trek. And slowly but surely, I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome, you know? And when I saw Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, I was very impressed. I was like, this is an action movie. This is a movie that I wanted. It had, again, all the stuff that I love. It had friends, right? Yes, relationships. Yes. Like really strong friendships. Mm -hmm. Battles. Yes. You know, grudges. Yes. Revenge. Yes. Like all this cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's in space. Yes. And it's Ricardo Montalban. Who's awesome. Amazing as Khan. Perfect villain. And we love our villains. And he has so much hate. I feel like he would have just eaten Captain Kirk. Like, I think because he has the superhuman strength, right? He would just rip him off a piece of Kirk at a time. Just tear a finger off and just start eating it. Oh, you know, just just really just suck the meat right off well, of there. Well, there wasn't much food left on Suddy Alpha there. No. Well, and so. the other thing I want to bring up and is that they never physically meet in this movie. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yes! And I think it's because of the superhuman strength. Yeah. In the Space Seed episode, they had, you know, some fisticuffs, yeah. right? And Which is, by the way, sidebar, hilarious to watch. Yes. On, like, a high definition, because clearly neither of those... It's not William Shatner or, or Ricardo <laughs> Montalban. No, it's... It's some stunt guys. Yeah clearly clearly stunt guys and it's funny because i have seen these episodes kind of unre uh what's the word mastered yeah unremastered mm -hmm. and you know they you can't really tell everybody's just kind of a blur yeah but now everything's like been all fixed up and but unfortunately a side effect you can really tell it's not them yeah it's it's not really something that Nobody could planned tell. on that. Yeah. No. Well, that was a big thing with HD, just in general. There are so many movies where I go back. Yeah. And you look at, at the lead actor, and you're like, yeah, look at them on the motor. Oh, that's not them on the motorcycle, <laughs> yeah, is it? Yeah, clearly not. Oh, who is I that? I mean, there <laughs> yeah. are times in like the old Star Trek episodes, which I've rewatched over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But... I just, every time I'm just laughing because it's clearly not them. No. And in this case, wow, it is really, really not them. No. Um, but, yeah, the point, going back to what you were saying, is that in the in the Space Seat episode, Kirk gets his butt handed to him pretty much by Khan. Yeah. Because Khan is like a genetically engineered, genetically modified human mm -hmm. who's been bred to be the fastest, the smartest, the yeah. strongest, the toughest, everything. You know, even he best. says his most ambitious, like all these types of things. Mm -hmm. All these qualities are like concentrated in him. Mm -hmm. And so fighting him physically, a young Kirk could maybe get away with it a little bit a little bit a little but bit an older kirk who from the beginning of this movie 
is kind of in midlife crisis mode. Yeah. He's older. It's his birthday. Everybody's telling him he's older. Mm -hmm. He's feeling older. Yeah. This Kirk is not going to go get into like a physical battle no. with Khan and he, not no. come out of it okay for sure. No, he couldn't take a flip. He couldn't take a bounce off no. of the wall. Any of these moves. I mean, and Khan still has all of his strength. He picks up Chekhov. With one arm yes. at the beginning, and it's as you mentioned, the spacesuit, you know that these that the Terrell and Chekhov have really handily have a nice handle in the front, yeah. you know, just like a teacup, a conveniently placed handle. Yeah, that Khan can use to lift the lift up Chekhov. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's kind of funny though because when we move on into the other Star Trek movies, mm -hmm. um, Kirk, like we never mention his elderliness again and like in no. final frontier i think it is he's climbing el capitan <laughs> oh my gosh that look when he's climbing el capitan that that's like we could do a whole other episode on yeah. on how oh, yeah. wonderful that is and then you have like bones by the fire i mean I can't oh, deal it's good. with it i love bones he's one of my, he's really my favorite i think he's great well we also have with the with the strength when they're on the Reliant and there's like a massive beam that's fallen from the ceiling because of all the damage they've taken yes. from the Enterprise, he just picks that thing up like it's a fiddlestick. Yeah. He doesn't, there's nothing that that could, could stop him. And I, I think that yeah. the reason they never met is, yeah, Kirk would be no sense. match. And also, it's like these two ships. It's almost like, get this, it's like Fast and the Furious. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like Vin Diesel. And The Rock. Yes. It's like going head to head. They take their rides to the limit. I, gotta, you know? I guess Montalban is The Rock in the scenario because Montalban is hugely jacked. Yeah. And he is showing those pectorals with yeah. pride, Even man. Even though he's like a million years old or yeah. something. He's like in shape. He's like got his chest out the entire time. He's got great hair. Yeah, oh, the mullet, like yeah. the crazy muskrat mullet yes. he's sporting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. He looks good. And I mean, you know, at that point, I don't remember the years of the television show Fantasy Island, but I think it was around that time. It was that around time. that time, yeah. You know, and on Fantasy Island, as I remember, he was a very suave gentleman, you With know. The suit, like the white suit. Yeah, very calm. He ran the hotel. Yeah. But he wasn't, like, cracking heads. No. <laughs> Not that I remember. No, and in this movie... And I loved that show. It was a great show. It, well, and also, I feel that Montauban did a great job with the physicality. You know, he had amazing posture, and he really knew how to use his body to make it terrifying. Yeah. After, like, the final onslaught... Where the Enterprise just shoots up the Reliant and it just leaves Khan. Yeah. And he comes up and he's just like, his face is all like blood and just figured. And his hand, it looks like he might have lost some fingers. Oh, gosh. Do you remember this? And I didn't just, even notice that. But, he, maybe he just hasn't bent back. No, but I mean, he just looks, he looks tears. I mean, you know, the, the whole place oof. is totaled. And he is pretty much wrecked. Yeah. And he comes up like this horror villain, you know, and he's just like, you know, then telling you that from hell's heart I stab at thee. Which is a Moby Dick quote. Wow. 
which is a revenge story about chasing like a the white whale and kirk is like his white whale that's crazy that kirk is his white whale yeah like i mean wow well it's really interesting because there's so much like nautical stuff in star trek i mean like Mm -hmm. the the show was intended originally basically i think their little one line blurb on it trying to sell it was that it was like horatio hornblower in space yeah so it's like you're taking these this great ship captain, mm-hmm. but instead of him exploring, you know, the Pacific, Atlantic, whatever, in like the 1500s, 1600s, it's this guy who's like got that same kind of adventuresome spirit captaining a ship in space and yeah. exploring space. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's really interesting that they like turned it into like this Ahab versus the whale kind of thing yeah i mean it because i mean it really is like that well i never read moby dick so i'm gonna act like oh yeah i know it's I just didn't like either moby. okay but you know what it's, do they do like i've I, it's one of the ones i'm very happy that i managed to miss because i really did not want to read moby dick well it's what i think about is what do they do they go into this nebula the enterprise goes into the nebula at the end because there's no visibility mm-hmm. right and, and also yeah. the shields can't be used the shields can't work and they can't use their targeting systems yes and so it's like a fair fight because the enterprise is very damaged at that point and the reliant has taken some hits as well but it's doing better yeah. than the enterprise at this point well because they it was a surprise attack like, they didn't know that the Reliant was being controlled by an enemy. They think it's just another Federation vehicle. Yeah. So it's fine. And, you know, they don't really understand why they're hailing it and it's not responding. Mm-hmm. But they aren't assuming automatically that they're going to get attacked. Because that just doesn't even make sense. No. I mean, they were, they were completely blindsided by yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the big turns in this, is that they're out there with these cadets. You know, maybe at this point we should actually take it back here and actually do a synopsis of the movie. Yeah. Um, as best as possible. Um, so the movie opens with Kirstie Alley's character, Lieutenant Savick, mm-hmm. sitting in the captain's chair. Yeah. Um, the rest of the bridge crew from the original series are there doing their old jobs. But instead of Captain Kirk being in the, in the jump seat, it's this Savick, who is a half Romulan, half Vulcan cadet from the Federation, mm-hmm. uh, from the Academy. Yeah. So she is actually, we find, doing the Kobayashi Maru exercise. And this is the first time that becomes a thing in a Star Trek movie series whatever yeah, that's a big thing that's it is it becomes yeah. a huge thing mm-hmm. um it becomes a huge part of the lore um because what it is is it's a no-win scenario that cadets have to go through as kind of a character test mm-hmm. to see how they would handle it when they're facing certain death and there's no escape um just a quick synopsis of what the kobayashi maru is is that There is a civilian ship stranded in the Romulan neutral zone, which means neither the Federation nor the Klingons are supposed to to traverse that space. But this ship is stuck there. And the choice that the cadet 
has is to go in and try to rescue the ship, um, which would then immediately get you attacked by Klingons, or to leave the ship there while it's hailing a distress call and it's about to be destroyed imminently. So you kind of have no choice but a bad choice. And it's designed to like see what this cadet would do, how they handle themselves under pressure, you know, what do they do in a situation where there's no positive outcome. Yeah. Um, and it becomes Kobayashi Maru actually becomes a part of our popular culture as kind of the way to describe a no win situation. Mm-hmm. So that's what we open on, and Savick is uh, pretty upset because she thinks she's, like, failed because she doesn't understand. The point isn't to find the solution. The point is to realize there's no solution and to act, you know, brave and courageous and hold yourself together anyway. Um, But what happens once kind of everything goes bad is that they pull this door and Captain Kirk walks in and then we realize it's just a simulation Um, because Captain Spock um, is an instructor at the academy and this is one of his cadets and he's got like this whole team of people who he's training to become new crew for starships. Well, and this setup right here is the basis really for the whole film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because during, you know, the, the simulation, there are explosions on the bridge. Yeah. And you see all of these familiar crew members die. Yes. Every single one of them does. And it's yeah. kind of a fake out mm-hmm. because you don't know about the Cowboy Ashimuri when you're first no. watching this movie. You don't know that this is a simulation. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, who is this weird girl captain? And why is everybody dying? Is this the movie I came to see? (laughs) Yeah, because you think your whole team is dead. And you're like, wow, they really just cleaned house. This is like the Red Wedding of Star Trek. (laughs) You know, I mean, and it's it's funny when you know it and you go back, because you see when some of these people fall over, like you see Sulu fall, and then you see McCoy fall. And this is hilarious because McCoy's head basically falls into Sulu's crotch. Yeah, well... And also, like, everybody's really acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Spock is just like, oh, you know, and, like, falls over. And it just makes me laugh inside to think of Spock, like, really giving it the gusto (laughs) with this death performance. Well, I like it that McCoy asked Kirk, you know, what did you think of my performance? (laughs) And Kirk goes, I'm not a drama critic. (laughs) (laughs) really funny um but yeah so kirk is kind of assigned to judge how savick did yeah and he explains to her that this isn't you know to find the right answer it was to judge character um and have a student have to be forced to face a no-win scenario um which is funny because later on he reveals that he doesn't actually believe in no-win scenarios yeah um and his way of dealing with the kobayashi maru was that he knew about it beforehand and he reprogrammed it so that he was able to solve it. Um, And that's just how Kirk rolls. (laughs) That's his way, which you actually get to see in the Star Trek reboot. We actually get to see him do do. that 
with this test. Which I love the Star Trek reboots for the most part as well. Yeah. Into Darkness, I kind of have to put a pin in that and come back. But 09 and Beyond are both awesome movies. They super capture the original series spirit. I love them. I love the recasting. Mm -hmm. I love the stories. It's just fun. Carl Urban as Bones is like perfection. Oh, he's good. Um, Chris Pine is a great new Kirk. I just really, I really like those. Well, when I see, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when I see Shatner, especially when I look at these old ones, I see Chris Pine in yeah, there. Yeah, they're similar. I was like, whoa, Chris Pine. Chris Pine really captures like that young Kirk feel. He has it. It's really cool the way he does that. Yeah. And yeah, you believe it. You just believe it. Um, yeah, we got off track, but I have to, cause I could just, I mean, the problem with talking about Star Trek is it's like explosive to me. <laughs> so like when I think about one thing, I just like suddenly am thinking about another connection, another and another and another. So this will be a very non-linear, crazy episode. Um, and I'll just sound like, you know, a conspiracy theorist or something, <laughs> just making all these weird connections. But it's just because I just love it so much. Well, and you've um, got me here by your side who's just going to drive you even further off the path. Because <laughs> that's what you do all the time. Well, that's yeah. I'm the one that brought up the newer <laughs> Star Trek. I'm the one that brought us there. But digressions are beautiful. Well, but yeah, you 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 open the door and I'm just going to fly through it. Like, but it's exciting. Head first. This is the um, stuff I love to talk about. I love to talk about the connections between yeah. all of these films. Well, and it's... It's just fun. Like, they did a really good job mm -hmm. with the newer ones. Now, that being said, Into Darkness is kind of like a remake, in a way, of Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I have a lot of emotions. But <laughs> overall, I see what they were trying to do, and I begrudgingly accept it. Um, I just think that it wasn't maybe handled the way that I would have wanted it handled. And I think people just have so many feelings about like the character of Khan and yeah. just going back and watching the old episode with Khan and this into darkness like it was a really different thing um and they went in a really different direction and I'm not sure about it I think if I wasn't so invested yeah in the show that it might be different for me but I am like so invested <laughs> that I think it makes it a little bit difficult for me to be objective. Well, for me, I'm not in as deep as you are. I don't have, you know, under my belt all of the original series. I don't have TNG under my belt, though TNG doesn't really factor into the con discussion of my knowledge. But I, when I saw Star Trek Into Darkness, I enjoyed the movie very much, and I didn't even think about Wrath of Khan I didn't think about Space Seed. I just thought about, hey, this is this movie. Yeah. And I enjoyed it for that. But when I bring in, you know, all this knowledge, like my, next time I'm to watch Star Trek in the Darkness, I'm curious to see what I'm going to think. You know, because again, I had seen Wrath of Khan. I knew Wrath of Khan. I liked Wrath of Khan. But Space Seed is not anything that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. I knew years ago when Star Trek in the Darkness came out, we watched Space Seed. I don't know that we watched Wrath of Khan, but again, I just, I don't think I was watching it like, I don't know, scientifically. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know the word to use. Like I was much more no, of a casual viewer. Yeah. Just, just, you're just watching a movie and enjoying the movie. 
And I think if you can watch Into Darkness like that, then mm. you probably would like it. Because as just a movie, it's good. Yeah, and Benedict Cumberbatch, always great. It's very thrilling. They reverse kind of the ending of this movie and that movie um, in, in a way that is very meaningful. Um, but at the same time, if you're like a huge original series fan, like I am, mm -hmm. um, it feels a little uncharacteristic in places and it just like leaves me with a big question mark on my head. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I give it another chance. I, I don't dislike it. I think it's a really well-made movie. Visually stunning. Yeah. It Visually looks, stunning. Even when we first went to see it in the theater, I was just like, wow. Yeah. And the colors, I mean, yes. it just looks amazing. And it's so exciting to see them get to have enough money to do some of the things that they were not able to do in the series. Well, that's something that's very interesting because I looked this up. The budget on Star Trek The Motion Picture was uh, much greater than the budget on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan or Star Trek III Search for Spock. Yeah. And it was like it said that for Wrath of Khan, they were actually working with the television people yeah. to use some of the, the, the props and the sets. They reused a lot from Star Trek, the motion picture. They said there's a space station in Star Trek, the motion picture, that they actually just flipped upside down and used for this. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I think you can tell, like, Star Trek, the motion picture really has more of this kind of, like, 2001 kind mm -hmm. of a feel yeah. like it's i can tell they spent more money it, yes they finally had money to spend but then we actually divert back to their old ways and wrath of khan yeah and honestly overall i find it more successful well for wrath of khan for me it was much more of a an action movie that i could understand and i could get behind star trek the motion picture it took me years to watch that all the way through. And the ending, again, we had all these colors, and it, it is. It's very reminiscent of the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. But just like the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey, it leaves me scratching my head. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and younger me was like, what? You know, now that I'm older, I'll look into things, I'll read, I'll talk to people, and then I'll say, oh, I get it now. But at the time, I wasn't looking to put any of that effort in you know i wanted just there's the bad guy knock him down like a bowling pin great song <laughs> well, you know in my perception i think of the motion picture and i could be wrong because i haven't really seen it in a long time yeah but my perception of that is that it's it feels like it's a lot less about the original series characters mm -hmm. and a lot more about like these new characters I can't remember. I mean, it's it's. I mean, this is where this talk is dangerous. I can literally say, I just don't remember. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm pretty sure we have it, so we could watch it again. Oh yeah, if we have. We wanted to, but what I really remember about these movies is I just love the characters. Yeah. And so I really want to see like Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Sulu, Chekhov, mm -hmm. Scotty. Like I want to see all these people who I know and love doing fun stuff. Like I mean. We almost did The Voyage Home for this. Yeah. Because that movie is just fun. It's so much fun. It's like you get to see your characters that you know and love in your own time. Yeah. And just like fish out of water. And it's funny. 
and there's just a lot of really great stuff in that movie as well. Um, so that could be something that we decide to do at a future date. Um, but for now, we were like, no, nah, let's do Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. Um, because they, you know, it's, it's also super cool that they have like a, a TV episode that they did a sequel to as a movie, which yeah. I don't even think I've heard of anyone else doing that at that point. I, I have not. Yeah. I mean, it was very exciting. Again, it brings more weight to the story because you have that history. Yeah. And that's like 15 years have gone by literally yes. in real time 15 years and 15 years in the the story or whatever i guess in the in their world 15 years has gone by which by the way feels like not enough time yeah and also tons of time i mean it feels like 15 years i mean you feel the 15 years oh yeah with these characters they look so much older which is funny because, I mean, I don't know when the first time I saw Wrath of Khan was, but I know that I thought about them as being, like, super old. I definitely did. And that, I think, again, was one of my initial turnoffs to the series, is I didn't feel like I could relate to anyone age-wise. Yeah. You know, in Star Wars, you had much more of a spread of ages. So you could say, oh, well, I'm kind of like Luke's age. And you're like, okay, Princess Leia, okay. And then Han Solo. Well, they're exactly like, the same age because they're twins. I mean, you know, every, <laughs> good point. everybody's super young, actually, yeah. in Star Wars. So you have, like, these young people. And if you're a young person, and also there's all these weird-looking aliens and stuff, which I think is very appealing to kids. And I also like the guns better in Star Wars. I, I You know, the phasers. You know, they, they looked more like shavers to me. Like, I thought someone was just going to give you, like, a close shave. Which is what Gene Roddenberry wanted. He didn't want to have, like, guns. He wasn't a big fan of that. And I think that his vision for the future, and this is going back to what I like about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I love that there's, like, this kind of near-utopian sort of vision of the future yeah. that people would be able to, like, put aside these petty differences that were plaguing us, especially in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. These issues of, like, race and ethnicity that were, like, really causing a lot of violence. And, yeah. and you know, also war and things like this were kind of a thing of the past. And you kind of have this new place where everybody's devoted to science. Everyone's devoted to exploration, to meeting new people, not to conquer them, but to learn from them. These are the things that appealed to me. This is why I loved, I ended up loving Star Trek. Um, but I loved Star Wars when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I was just like you, mm -hmm. super huge Star Wars fan. I actually hated Star Trek when I was a kid. Because my dad liked it, and <laughs> anything uh, uh. my dad liked, I didn't like, usually. Um, I don't really remember him doing the original series, but he really loved The Next Generation. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, Star Trek, oh, why do we have to watch Star Trek? But then, I don't know what happened, but sometime in the mid-aughts, um, we watched, <laughs> for whatever reason... We saw the Star Trek episode, original series episode, A Piece of the Action. Yeah. And I just instantly fell in love with it because it was super campy and mm -hmm. I love campy. Sure, I do too. It's, you know, older. It was funny. Like, Shatner is amazing in that episode to me. Mm -hmm. 
because he just goes right into like this character of like the 40s gangster and it's like what is this about like what is he doing but it's super funny and Spock like has no clue what's going on because he's not an he's not a Terran mm-hmm. and he doesn't know like what this is about and everybody's a little confused at like how comfortable Kirk is just jumping right into this with yeah. the suits and the you know Tommy guns and stuff. I love that episode. Like I fell in love with it, and I'm yeah. like, oh my god, this is amazing! Why have I never watched this before? And then I ended up just buying like all the DVDs of all the seas, all three seasons of the original series, and. When you had sinus surgery, you were kind of out of commission like 90% of the time, but I had to be home with you. And so you were kind of snoozed out on the couch getting well, and I ended up just watching practically the entire series while I was there to help take care of you while you were getting better. I loved the show. There's so many good episodes of this so many i mean there's so many that space seed really didn't even register for me as like one of the best episodes i didn't even really think about it at the time it's a great episode but there's so many others that i'm just like obsessed with and i just watch them like incessantly to the point where you want to murder me (laughs) but yeah anyway that was a really long like 20 minute digression where I was supposed to be doing a synopsis and I stopped at the Kobayashi Maru and I never came back. So, <laughs> But really that is the whole movie. I mean, what what happens in Space Seed? They come across, the Enterprise comes across the derelict spaceship yes. in the year 1996, correct? From the year 1996, yes. From the year 1996, the USS Botany Bay Right? And it's named after a prison colony in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't know if it's the USS because it may just be the Botany Bay. It may just be like the SS Botany Bay. But at any rate, it is a spaceship called the Botany Bay. Mm -hmm. It's got life forms on it. Yep. But it doesn't, they don't know what they are because their heartbeats are really slow and the respiration is slow, etc. But it just kind of seems to be stranded and it's kind of sending out like this distress signal that something's gone wrong. So they decide to board the ship and check it out. And it's basically a sleeper ship that just is full of these people who are kind of in a stasis sleep. And they end up waking up the main one. And it's this guy, Khan Noonien Singh, who is this advanced kind of genetic superhuman who with a bunch of other similar superhumans escaped earth during the eugenics wars um, which is something that supposedly happened in the 1990s which is funny because people were watching this in the 1960s yeah and like that's so far in the future and now for us it's like oh that's the year i graduated high school 1996 and they were like humans didn't have the capacity to do much more than interplanetary travel until 2018 and i'm like that was four years ago we still don't have it yeah <laughs> they but, promised a lot when we were younger well, that just didn't I mean, happen i think it makes sense though because you have to imagine 1969 is when we landed on the moon yeah 
and only 66 years before that was the first time there was ever any flight of any kind. Mm -hmm. So within 60, what did I just say, 66 years, we went from not being able to even fly a plane to landing on the damn moon. That's big. That's a huge jump in technology. So I think that they thought that you know, with the space race, all these countries were very interested in space travel and very invested in it. And I think that they thought that we would just continue to be like that and continue to have these exponential jumps in technological advancement to do with space. But they didn't realize that people don't want to spend money on that, unfortunately. <laughs> it was a money problem. Um, and it still is a money problem. And the people that we see going to space now are these super rich weirdos who just are like, we need to colonize other planets because we're destroying this one. Instead of fixing this one, let's find another. Woo. Um, okay, good. So <laughs> why can't we do a little bit of both? I don't know. Everybody thinks everything is a zero-sum game. We've discussed this before. And back to Star Trek. <laughs> Let me throw in one more digression fast. But I think interesting... So, they find Botany Bay, which is the sleeper ship. And what it made me think about was the film Aliens. Mm. How they find this derelict ship, right? And they find Ripley. And I wonder, well, did someone see this Star Trek episode and think, what if we went in a much darker direction? I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Because I do think that the other thing you have to say about Star Trek is that it's pretty hugely influential. I'm not saying it was the only thing that was hugely influential because speaking of 2001, it came out like around the same time that Star Trek was happening. Yep. And like the technological advancement in how they filmed space and spaceships and that are like insane. Yeah. I mean, you could obviously they had a ton more money than poor old Star Trek the original series had on CBS. Trying to stumble along. I mean, we saw today um, some set pieces and some costumes from the original series. Yeah. And the poor quality of the clothes they were wearing is just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I know that they're old, so we're looking at something that's super old. Yeah. But, like, McCoy's shirt, the the neckline of that was so stretched out and messed up. Yeah. And you could just tell that they had no money. Well, and then, you know, like we talked about, for the, the second film, they had to recycle these things from CBS to to make Wrath of Khan. They had to go back to that. Now, I, I don't know. They might have even recycled some costume pieces. I, I don't no, recall. I, I don't, think it was just set pieces. I think it was just set pieces. The reason I say is because they had the different uniforms in those. Mm-hmm. Um, in that old, in the old series, they just had like those kind of pullover sweater tops that were like velour or something or knit. But in this, they had like the tunic style Mm -hmm. shirts that kind of became the standard look, um, going forward. Um, and actually I think the costumes in this are pretty awesome. So that's another sidebar piece. Well, Um, and here's a quick one on that. When they actually go on to regular one, um, it's McCoy and Savick and Kirk. Mm-hmm. And they go to regular one and they find there's been this slaughter 
yes. and it turns into a horror film has a real Empire Strikes Back vibe to it. They have a close-up on Shatner with his collar up. Yes. Which looks very similar in my mind, though different colors, to Harrison Ford, Deckard, and Blade Runner. That's interesting. Which also came out in 1982. I just thought it was funny that he had like a pop collar like on his coat. Everybody else has their collar like down. But Kirk has to be cool. So yeah. he's popped his. He's a cool dude. Yeah, it's Kirk. He's cool. But it's Kirk. just like, well, when you see that mixture of just all these, these science fiction elements coming together, and 2001 came out in 1968, and then this episode, Space Seed, was 1967. So, yeah, everything yeah. Is, is influencing each yeah. other. And it's around that same time, and people were just so excited. Yeah. About, like, space at that moment. That was, like, a huge thing in, like, even, I wouldn't just say the national mind, but, like, the international mind. Like, everybody in the world was really excited about space race and all this kind of stuff. Okay. So, wah, 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 wah. Synopsis. Back to the synopsis. Yes. All right. So, after we do the Kobayashi Maru, um, we kind of adjourn from there. Spock is, like, interested to know how his students are doing, what Kirk's feelings are about it. Says, happy birthday. It's Kirk's birthday. Um, McCoy comes and visits Kirk and gives him a pair of reading glasses. Because he's old. Yeah, and he can't take the medicine that fixes your eyes. Yeah. That's another thing I'm jealous of the future of Star Trek, is that fixing everything on you is just, like a hypo spray like oh you're nearsighted zip here you go you're fine but kirk happens to be allergic to that medication so he can't just zip away his nearsighted or i guess farsightedness so that he needs readers and uh he gives him readers so that he can read a book he's uh got tale of two cities that spock has gifted him Mm -hmm. uh, for his birthday so it's kind of like they have these complimentary gifts (laughs) for kirk to have Um, and McCoy basically says, look, Jim, you're not meant to be behind a desk. It's making you old before your time. You need to get back out in command, which fortunately he has the opportunity to do in short order, um, because they go out on this training mission just to give the cadets a chance to be on the ship and kind of, you know, be in like an exercise, do an exercise. Yeah. Um, but then as it turns out, while they're on this exercise maneuver, they receive a call from Regular One, which is a space station where Carol Marcus is working with her son, David, on this project called Project Genesis. Um, Carol and Kirk have some history together which, as far as I know, we never had heard of before. No, I went and I looked online. I'm like, wait, have we heard of Carol Marcus? Yeah, yeah and no, I don't nothing. believe so. So this is the first we've heard of her, but she and Kirk have a history. They were apparently in a, in a relationship, and she actually had a son with him who, you know, they haven't told the kid that Kirk is his father. Uh, and apparently they have seen each other, and David knows Kirk, but he doesn't know that Kirk is his dad. Um, and so this is a big surprise to us as well. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Kirk never mentioned, hey, no. I've got a 
five-year-old or however old it would have been the son would have been during the original series you think that's something that might have come up you know they might have been like hey you know i've uh got a child out there and we're just not going to talk about it yeah you know like it's cool it's fine you know we have lunch and then that's it it's (laughs) great i'll meet him in 20 years we'll have a quick drink give him a old punch on the shoulder and that'll be all (laughs) yeah i mean it's very like handy that this just comes up um, and it's very handy that they're working on Project Genesis. Um, and basically, they say, you know, hey, why are you trying to take this from us? Mm-hmm. And Kirk is, like, uber confused. He's like, what's going on? I don't get it. And they decided, hey, we got to go check this out. Yeah. Well, the reason that that's happening is because, meanwhile, on <laughs> the Reliant which is the ship that Chekhov is now assigned to, he and his captain are scouting a planet that they believe to be SETI Alpha 6. The reason they're scouting it is because they want to potentially use this as a site for testing of Project Genesis. Mm -hmm. Project Genesis is a terraforming initiative. So basically, Marcus and Marcus have created this machine that creates life from nothing. It takes the basic building blocks of matter and reforms them into life. Can I cut in super fast? Yes. Another point with aliens. Wayland Corporation. They are terraforming a planet. Yes. It's a a different, different way that they're doing it, but it's just, this is very funny. You know, so many connections. And I think that's what people think about. Colonizing, terraforming, you know, especially as we move into the 80s from the 70s where we're having a fossil fuel crisis and resource crisis, Mm -hmm. crises. You're thinking about how can we solve these? Well, the only real solution is to look on other planets that aren't depleted. Like, we're depleting Earth. Where can we go to fix this? So the Genesis device is kind of like a magic bean for that problem. Because you shoot it onto a dead planet, Mm -hmm. and it creates life on that planet. Now, I don't know if they really get into how it sustains life on the planet. Because, I I mean, you can't just shoot this thing onto Jupiter and suddenly big old Jupiter is a habitable planet. I mean, Jupiter is a gas planet. Mm -hmm. It's not, like, got a surface. It's not in a sweet spot where it has enough sun and heat to support life. I think that maybe these have to be within the Class M kind of a zone for this life to exist. But regardless, you're looking at being able to shoot this thing at a planet and turn it into a habitable planet Mm -hmm. kind of like magically within days yeah yeah i mean it's got food it's got supporting you know can support life the big catch is it will kill anything that currently exists so Chekhov and terrell have to go check this planet out because even though seti alpha 6 is supposed to be uninhabited and not even have a microbe on it Um, they've detected some life signs. So they're going down there to check this out. And what happens is that they find that it is a habited planet by a small ragtag group of Khan and his survivors 
who have managed to live on this really inhospitable planet Mm -hmm. where they were marooned. When they were originally marooned on space, the show Space Seed, the planet was habitable. It might have been harsh, but it was something where they probably could find food, they could find shelter, the weather was good enough. It could sustain life. But after uh, Kirk left them there and the Enterprise left, there was a catastrophic event where the neighboring planet exploded, apparently. That happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, as it does, yeah. as they do. And it threw SETI Alpha 5 off course and turned it into an extremely inhospitable planet. Um, which basically killed a great number of the people in their party mm-hmm. um, from a lot of different causes, but not the least of which is this eel, which is the one uh, indigenous species on the planet, which creepily enough has these gross little slugs that grow out of it that burrow into your ear and allow somebody to take control of your mind. I'm going to jump in again catch this so they're terraforming in aliens i believe it's lv426 that's where the aliens are that's what's indigenous to the planet are these evil creatures also throwing in another one this is interesting the movie the beast master <laughs> yes okay so it's like you know sword and sorcery type of film from the 80s rip torn plays an evil wizard Okay. And there are these slugs that glow green. And you, you know, drop them into a person's ear canal. And then their eyes, I think, actually might glow green. Mm. And they become this evil berserker. That's weird. So it's, again, everybody, everybody everybody's loves on board. an earwig who can make you control. Yeah. You know, who can control you. That's. I just want to jump in that. Please No, continue. it's funny. I, I didn't remember that. That maybe is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's funny that those connections are there. Yeah, so Khan uh, throws one of these earwigs. It's an eel, but it looks like a grotesque earwig. Into Chekhov and Terrell's ears. And he manages to take control of them. He finds out about Project Genesis and he decides he wants it. Mm -hmm. Because that would really be the solution to his problems. I mean, he could, you know, terraform planet, take it over, you know, do his business. That's what he wants. He wants to be like an emperor. And he wants room for his broad chest. (laughs) He He needs a planet. Exactly. It's going to get bigger. He's, he's gonna, gonna get keep, bigger. He's gonna keep ripping push-ups he and beating his record. He's got to do it. <laughs> Can you imagine the Olympics on that planet? Oh no! Yeah, there'd be a lot of doping, though. I mean, would they be? They wouldn't even need to dope. I think they would, though, because that would even give them a bigger advantage. Oh my god! It's like yeah. they already have an advantage, so they want more advantage. They would play baseball with planets, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so Khan's whole deal from Space Seed on mm-hmm. is that he just wants to be like an emperor. They he want, This is who he admires are like these emperors, Alexander, Napoleon, Julius Caesar, who've taken over huge areas and control a lot of people and a lot of resources. And that's what he wants. And Genesis, that plays right into his hand here. 
create life and then be the lord of it all, he's in. Yep. And he wants it. So he kind of convinces Chekhov and Terrell through this mind control to, like, go tell Carol Marcus that they're taking over Genesis. And she's like, I don't think so, buddies. And she contacts Kirk and is like, why are you doing this? And Kirk is like, what? I don't get it. And suddenly the training mission becomes a live mission. And they go and uh, find out what's going on. Kirk and Khan face off again. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, Kirk is in Enterprise. And uh, Reliant is now being controlled by Khan. And the Reliant rolls up on the Enterprise. Yeah. Pretending to be a friend. Mm -hmm. Is not a friend. Not at all. And before Enterprise can raise the shields, they're getting shot. So they're really in trouble. They've been attacked. Um, They manage somehow to pull out like the code that they can kind of hack into the Reliant with. Very handy. Yeah. Very handy. To take down the shields. Yeah. They do this and it allows them to attack back. Um, But then they're still trying to find Regula so that they can, you know, go get Carol Marcus, go get Genesis and make sure it's okay. By the time they get there, Chekhov and Terrell come on with them to go down to Marcus on Regula, which has been attacked by Khan. Yeah, and it's like a horror show. I mean, there are people, like, hanging upside down. There's a lot of blood. It's very scary. It's gross. It's super gross. And you also wonder, you know, when you're watching the movie, you're like, man, what if we actually saw Khan and his crew on Regula 1, you know, torturing and murdering these people and hanging them upside down? I mean, it gets crazy. And, I mean, from this point, when they go down to Regula 1, it's like, who has Project Genesis? Carol and David have, like, gone down to this planetoid where they did the original experiments for Project Genesis. Yeah. And they've taken Project Genesis with them. Planetoid still confuses me. Yes, I know. It's a little weird. Yeah. But Regular One, it's gone from there. When everybody gets to Regular One, it's like deserted. Nothing's happening. Like, what happened? Uh Carol's not here. Yeah. It's on the planetoid. Mm Mm-hmm. But (laughs) Khan kind of doesn't know what's going on. He sends Terrell and Chekhov. To go with Kirk, pretend that they're, you know, cool. and <laughs> They seem really cool, by the way. And then when they... Well, they do. They act like everything's fine. No, they seem nuts. Like, Chekhov I mean, they're a little sweaty you... and weird. Yeah, like, Chekhov's like, everything's fine. He doesn't really do that with Kirk to me, though. He was just doing that on the screen with Carol. Yeah, and it was, like, very creepy. Well, she knew something was wrong, like, immediately. Terrell, you could tell it was up. Chekhov, like, kind of was normal again when they when they found him. But Terrell, like, really never reached that even keel again no, for he's, me. Well, he was fighting a lot harder, I think. Yeah. With this, like, mind control like eel, whatever. That's supposed to wrap around your cerebral cortex, right? Things get a little confusing at mm-hmm. this point, admittedly. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, so Enterprise is kind of tanked. Reliant is still fairly okay. They make it to Regula. They, you know, mess up everything there. Yeah. But they can't find Genesis. Mm-mm. So then the Enterprise shows up and 
they send, uh, well, Khan sends Chekhov and Terrell to kind of go with Kirk and really figure out what's going on because he can't. So mm-hmm. they find that Carol and David have gone to this planetoid where the Project Genesis cave is. Yeah. That was phase two of Project Genesis was to test it out in this underground area. Uh-huh. And that's where the stuff is. That's where the actual machine and stuff is located. The goods, is with them. if you will. Yeah. Mm. So they go down there. Um, Kirk makes it seem like they're lost. But he really just had some coded message with Spock that Spock knows to come back in like 30 minutes or something. Mm-hmm convenient again well it's i mean i believe that they would do i do believe that too because kirk and spock like they're so close and they're so friends that they have like their own situation going on at all times we should get a coded language that works for me i would like that. that yeah i would like that um so yeah so marcus carol marcus and kirk have this weird conversation where they're like oh about the sun and yeah whatever you're just like yeah 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 they, so, <laughs> it's kind of like that it's like yeah you know but i can't it, believe you didn't tell them yeah but terrell and Chekhov are like oh guess what we're still working for con and there's some and con like zaps the project genesis machine onto the reliant so now he's got it and he's gonna take it take care of everything do whatever he wants and they're like stuck here um and they're supposed to kill kirk terrell is like fighting against it he can't do it he ends up shooting himself yeah and destroying himself that's a real fight there yeah and then Chekhov just kind of like passes out yeah and the thing falls out of his ear i'm glad it came just out just convenient again it looks just as bad coming out as it did going <laughs> in but you know we're happy because Chekhov made it yeah Chekhov's back on the crew. And he's your guy. Like, you know, check off. You know him. When he finally walks back out on the bridge on the Enterprise, I felt that, like, he needed some kind of triumphant music. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the he's doors been open. through it. He has been through it. He has it. been. Yeah, he needs a rest. Just send him to sick bay and let him take a nap. Yeah. But, yeah, so. He's just back working the weapons counter. <laughs> That's all he does. Yeah, just a working man. Working man. Yeah. Oh, God. But, yeah, so the next thing that happens is they go into, they have, they're like, look, we have to fight Khan because we can't let this Project Genesis be in his hands. No way. No it's way. It's too dangerous. It's, you know, th- there's been a lot of discussion already in the movie about how this thing is not so great anyway. McCoy is very anti, as usual. He's like, I don't think this is a good thing. It's yeah. just not a good idea to have. It's too powerful, blah, blah, And, of course, Spock is like, oh, but science, you know? So <laughs> the two of them, as ever, are opposed. Um, but everybody can agree that this shouldn't be in the hands of someone like Khan. No. So they decide we got to go get this. But mm-hmm. how are they going to do it? Because... Once again, they're outmatched back on. This time, it's not physically. It's shiply because he has the Reliant, which is still in decent shape. Yeah. Whereas the Enterprise is pretty tanked at this point, and it's kind of busted up. So what they end up doing is going into this nebula, as John had mentioned earlier, where 
their targeting systems are out of commission on both ships. They both can't raise shields. So it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Yeah. And Spock brings up the idea that Khan's weakness in this situation is that he's thinking of two-dimensional combat. So he's more thinking about ships on the ocean rather than, like, submarines, which have, like, a Z-axis and can fight up and down as well as side to side and front to back. So you could say, like, Khan's on a boat. Yeah, Khan's on a boat. Don't you ever forget. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so they decide that that's how they can kind of get the upper hand on Khan. Um, Never really explain why Khan would be thinking 2D. But that's just where they go with it, so that's that. Well, and also there's a lot of questions, because in the Star Trek original series episode Space Seed, he gets the manuals, he reads the manuals while he's in sick bay yeah. of the Enterprise. And he learns everything about the ship. Well, and you see that come into play, because when he is in the Reliant and he shoots the Enterprise, they know exactly where to target. And Spock yeah. makes a point to say that. Yes. But that is like what I feel is like the height of his intelligence. You know, like that's his big shining moment in, in my book. Yeah. And then other than that, it's just kind of like this this blind revenge. Yeah. It feels like. Well, and that's part of it, too. Like, and he says that like famous line that's like the Klingon proverb, the revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah. Um, but. He's not cold. Like, Khan is the opposite of cold. He can't stay calm. No. He is He is very animated and angry. He might be, like, you know, like, tight. You know what I mean? He's, like, super passionate. Yes. Like, this is not a cold, calculating person. No way. He's very intelligent. He's very strong and powerful. He knows a lot. But he is a very passionate person. And he's not just some guy who's, like, going to sit here and calculate the best way to do, you know, this whole thing. So, on the other hand, you have Spock, who tends to be on the cold side and more logical and released from emotion. So, his idea is we take advantage of three-dimensional possibility. They kind of get up away from the plane Mm -hmm. that... Khan is operating on in the Reliant so that when Khan passes under them, they're able to drop back down and be behind him. And at that point, they can do like a surprise attack on him. Yeah. Which they do. They pound him to bits and he's basically there. All his crew is dead. Everybody's messed up. Khan is messed up. But he still has one more trick up his sleeve, Mm -hmm. which is activating the Genesis machine. If he can do that, it will kill him, but it will also kill the much damaged Enterprise as well. Because again, Project Genesis, the way that this works is, if you shoot it at a dead planet, it turns all of those building blocks into life. If you shoot it at life, it's going to break that life into those component parts to then rebuild it. Yeah. So he's going to use this to destroy himself, but to take the Enterprise down because their warp core is damaged. They cannot go into warp to escape the field 
where Project Genesis would deploy. This leads into this big, crazy end sequence where there is a flooded warp core. The radiation in there is intense. Yeah. Nobody can go in to fix it. Mm -mm. Scotty is down. Yeah. McCoy is down there. He's trying to help everyone because everybody in engineering is messed up. All the radiation, yeah. Yeah. But the real intense radiation is trapped in this kind of glassed-in warp core. And Spock comes down and he's like, I'm going to fix this. And he goes in, he gets exposed to this massive radiation. It's murderous radiation. I mean, it's deadly level. He knows that this is the only thing he can do to get them out, but it's going to kill him in the process. You know, McCoy tries to stop him. He can't. Um, Spock gives him the Vulcan nerve pinch, but also quickly hits him with a mind meld and says, remember, mm -hmm. which will become important in the next movie. Yeah. Um, and this movie, you're kind of just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, because you don't even know what's happening there. But then no. Spock like runs into the radiated, irradiated room and you're like, ah. Um, and yeah, they kind of call up to Kirk and they're like, you don't know what's going on down here. you got to get down here. Kirk comes down and he's like, no, you know, he's freaking out because his best friend is like killing himself trying to save everybody right now. And he even goes like he wants to go in the room with him. And McCoy stops him and says, you cannot open that door. Or the whole place will be flooded with radiation. So like he can't even get to him to help him or to do anything or to render aid or whatever. Yeah. But Spock ends up fixing the warp core. They're able to warp out in the nick of time. And they're saved from being attacked by this Project Genesis wave. They escape the wave. And, uh, but in the process, Spock dies saying to Kirk that he did it because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or in this case, the one that was worth it for him to give up his life to save everybody else's. So it's, it's a huge moment because like Spock, do I think he's like the most beloved character from the original series? Yeah. Certainly. I do. Like, Leonard Nimoy is so good. He's such a good actor. He embodied this character of Spock so entirely. And, you know, and when you're watching this at the time, there's no other movies coming out. You don't know what's happening. No, you have He's no dead. Idea. No. They just killed Spock. Yeah. Ah, it's crazy. Well, and it's it, because a lot of people will say William Shatner isn't so hot as an actor. But when you see him in this, this is his finest hour. I, I think, I actually think William Shatner is a really good actor. I think that, it, I don't think that, you know, I think sometimes he hams it out pretty hard. But I just challenge people to go back and watch an episode like The Devil in the Dark mm -hmm. and tell me that William Shatner's not a good actor. Well, I'm not speaking about me personally because no, I, I agree with you. But it's, We've I do talked feel about that, it before. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will give a lot of static for what he does. Yeah. And yes, he does deliver some hilariously over-the-top performances. But in this, in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, William Shatner 
deserves all the awards he's for what he brings to the table. Very subtle, honestly. And you really feel that he's saying goodbye to his friend. That scene between, you know, Nimoy and Shatner, and, you know, it's like you have Nimoy who's in this this glass case, yeah. you know, of, of toxic radiation, and then you have, you know, Shatner on the other side, you know, and they, man, what he says what? He says, I, I have been and always shall be your friend. Oh, oh, I, I, I paraphrase. I might have said it wrong, but watch the movie. Just watch that part. It, it's just, oh, man. I have to say, when Shatner comes down to see Nimoy, that, like, he just comes down this ladder and he's older. You know, he just, like, kind of grabs the sides of the ladder and he slides down and he's got his, like, boots on the outside, and he slides down. Yeah, he can't even use the rungs, because he's in such a hurry to get down there. Yeah, yeah. And that is Shatner. Yeah. That is not a stunt guy. No. Clearly Shatner. Yeah. Sliding down this ladder like it's like a fire pole or something to to get there because of the urgency of this moment. And it's great. And yeah. he plays it, like, very subtly and very emotionally. I think he did a really good job. Fantastic. And then he does the eulogy for Spock at the end, which, again, you know, he, he kind of cracks up there emotionally, you know, and you just see the faces of everyone in the room. It's a very sad ending yeah. for the film, you know, but it's like they, they launch Spock, you know, in this, this torpedo casing, you know. <laughs> Out into it's space. Weird, okay. It's super weird. Out into space, and then he ends up on the Genesis planet after the process has started. Yeah. And then we find out in the next movie that, you know, Spock has been reborn. That's a whole other story. Yeah. But in this film, we're seeing Captain Kirk deal with his own mortality. Yeah. He's thinking he's an old man and he's done. Yeah. And, you know, all of his friends say, you just like all of these old things, you know, and, and as, you know, McCoy said, you're behind a desk. You know, he just didn't really feel like there was anything, anything good anymore. It felt yeah. like a man that was really ready to give up. And in this movie, he's he's back in the saddle where he should be. He's yes. back in action with all of his friends doing what he knows how to do best. And that brings him back. Yeah. And then he runs into Carol Marcus. And then that, you know, that love kind of sparks back up again over the course of the film. It's like, oh, wow, okay, I've got this. Then he meets David, his son. It's like, oh, my God, I've got a son. And all of these things just keep you know, going for him. And he feels like he's got his old magic back. Even when they go on to regular one and they see this horror show of dead bodies. Okay. Before they go to the planetoid and they go to where project Genesis is, Captain Kirk is still able to crack a joke with McCoy. Yeah. McCoy says, we don't know what these transporters are set for. And he's like, well, you'll finally get that vacation you've been looking for. No, what does he say? You'll finally be able to get away from it all. You know, and it's like, okay, he's yeah. got he's got that back. And you're like, all right. Well, it's where he belongs. Like, this dude belongs on a starship. Like, clearly, he's, yeah, Kirk is no Hamlet, you know. No, and Kirk he's... is a man of action. 
He needs to be in action. And when you see him inert, you know, at the beginning of this movie, you just see it's like a real fish out of water thing because he doesn't fit. And no. he, he's able to regain that. The relationship with his son by the end of the movie is reconciled. Yes. Well, and he also says that he's never dealt with a no-win situation. And in this yeah. film, he does actually get the real-life Kobayashi Maru. Yes, because he cannot save Spock. There's no way for him to save no, him there's in this nothing. scenario. There's nothing that, that he has that... The, yeah, there, there's nothing that can that can stop it. Yeah, it's, and uh, that's he he has to like accept it and live in that moment of being powerless. And you know, while it is horrible for him, yeah, it also teaches him something. I think as well that like he can deal with that. He can, you know, take what he learns from that and go forward. And I think what it teaches him is that he can't go back to what he was doing, just being like this guy who is just, you know, an admiral and is behind a desk resting on his laurels anymore. He has to, like, live his life now. Well, and he also, you know, says to Savick, you know, that it's not necessarily about the way... What, what's the line? It's about facing life and death mm -hmm. and saying that you need to face death like the way you face life, something like that. Yeah. It's a horrible paraphrase. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't think I'm making any point. But what I'm saying is is that Captain Kirk ran away from death. He always thought that he could dodge it, and he always thought that there was an escape. And that was like a boyish quality that he had. Yeah. And at the end of the film, right before you know he has his reconciliation with his son David, he is saying, you know, I've just run from this stuff. You know, and then he goes through this where, where he grows up. That's what's funny. He Carrick is scared of being old, but over the course of this film, he actually matures. He becomes a father. Yeah. You know, and he becomes a, a man that has really faced serious adversity, has faced death. And when he accepts that and he's able to say, okay. You know, here I am. I'm still going. His son says, I'm proud to have you as my father. Yeah. And that just moves him, you know, to the next phase. And then he's just looking out into space and he quotes uh, Tale of Two Cities, the book that Spock gave him. Mm -hmm. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yes. And that's like... You know, he's learned something that he has never learned. No. And it just shows you that even if you're like this, you know, 50-year-old dude, which doesn't seem that old to me anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that you can always learn something new and you can always change and there's always a new challenge ahead. And that kind of galvanizes him to retake his life. Yes. And, like, make it what it should be. Um, and I think that's awesome. It's a great freaking movie. It's a great movie because he has a man. 
I mean, he even breaks it down at one point. You know, Khan is trying to take his life from something that happened 15 years ago. And then he runs into his son, which they say is something that happened 15 years ago, which is confusing because the son looks like 20s. He's not 15. No, he does not look 15, (laughs) unless I misunderstood. I don't think the son was 15 years ago. I think that... Like, I mean, this my confusion is that the sun existed already 15 years ago, but we never heard of that. And we heard about Kirk's family. Yeah. In the show. Right. Like in the original series, there is um, a, an episode where they even go to the colony where his brother and his sister-in-law and nephew, I believe, live. Yeah. And, you know, so he talks about his family. It's not like... You know, he just doesn't say anything about them, but he never said anything like, oh, yeah, by the way, (laughs) I have like a five or ten year old son that I just like pieced out on. We just don't tell him I'm his dad. You think that would have come up. But then again, like you watch Undiscovered Country and you find out Spock has some rando half brother hanging out that nobody ever heard of. That's like James Bond style. You (laughs) know what I mean? Oh, God. Yeah, that's like Spectre. (laughs) Right. Well, it's, you know, the other thing that I'd say is we need to take a look at the parallels between Kirk and Khan. So this is interesting. Okay. Okay, So we take a look at Space Seed. They wake up these supermen. Okay. Khan seduces a member of the Enterprise. Well, he doesn't have to work very hard. No, she she likes him. McGavers is into him before he's even awake. Yeah. She's like the ship's historian. And they find, like, these people, and before, like, they've even pulled him out of his cryo-sleep chamber or whatever, she's already, like, drooling. Yeah, she she thinks that he's just the best thing that's ever walked. Because she's really, adm- she really admires, like, these Napoleon and Julius Caesar and people, too. She's a historian, and she, you know, romanticizes these figures from the past and has painted them in her quarters and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, and so she decides to go along with Khan when Khan decides that he wants to take over the Enterprise. Yeah. You know, and... And she ends up exiled with him on Seti Alpha 5. Yes. Bad choice. Yes. And then dies. Yes. Because she gets, I don't know, eaten by an eel or something. I mean, I don't think they really explain how these eels, like, took people out. They look nasty. They've got these pincers. I mean, they're, and they they're come dank. I mean, I'm not interested in encountering one of them. No. But they look like little leeches with with <laughs> pinchers, almost. I think that, yeah, they look like a kind of a, a little bit scorpion-like as well. Mm. I see that, yeah. So... What, what I'm saying is, with Khan and Kirk, what they have in common, okay, is both of them, are, it's like the other side of the coin. So Khan loses, he loses MacGyver's, which is the love of his life, right? And Kirk had also lost the love of his life. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm putting that, maybe I'm going too far with that, you know, with Carol Marcus. I mean, I think that we're presented in this movie... Yeah. As her kind of being, like, the big love of his life. Yes. Um, although, I have to say that, like, it felt like every other episode of Star Trek, the original <laughs> series, we were meeting, like, another great love of Kirk's life. Makes sense. It, it's So, I mean, we have that, and then we also have, 
you know, we'll call it the Dominic Toretto factor family. <laughs> okay. Because Khan had his people, right? And they lost a good number of them, you know, to these eel attacks and all these other yes. troubles that they ran into. Yeah. Okay. But he's with his team the whole time. And in the film, it's really tit for tat with us seeing, you know, a member of Khan's group being hurt or killed. And then we go on to the Enterprise and we see that there. Yeah. And so it's like both of them have this family yeah. that they're that they're really connected to. Yeah. And so Khan and is they're a, the leader, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and so it's like and then you have Khan. It's like he has this mission just to take down Kirk at all costs. And he has the ability now to actually get everything back with Genesis. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, and then it's like Kirk, you know, in the way the, the film presents it, has the way to come back, be the father, right? Yeah. Be the husband. So he gets that complete picture, right? And he really embraces the crew as his, as his family because he hasn't seen them for a while. He's been at a desk job. Yeah. But what happens? He loses Spock. So he loses that that big piece. But we know, because we know the next movie, that Spock's going to be coming back. Yeah. But I, I guess in a very long-winded way, <laughs> you know, what I'm trying to say is both of these guys have everything on the line in this. Yeah. And they... They are very similar in, like, their commitment to, you know, kind of giving 100% on everything. And they're like, very impulsive. They're yeah. very impulsive. They're both intense people. Mm -hmm. They're very decisive. Yes. I mean, personality-wise, you're right. They're very similar in a lot of ways. I think Kirk can be a lot more thoughtful. And even though Kirk definitely has an ego... I think that it can't compare to Khan's. I mean, Khan's ego is absolutely out of control. Well, and then let's not forget a huge piece. Kirk is live and let live. Khan is live and let die. Yeah. Because in the Space Seed episode, okay, when Khan tries to take over, he tries to kill Kirk. Yeah. And they stop this uprising and they exile yeah. They don't kill him. Yeah, Kirk doesn't kill him. Hmm. Um, he exiles him. Yeah, and he lets him, he gives him a chance to live. Yeah. And Khan, you know, from the beginning is like, he marooned us here. He killed my wife. All of this. But the fact is, he gave you a chance and you failed. And that, yes. And it's, it's just like... And it, because Khan's ego is what I'm saying... He can't accept that. It's like the Kobayashi Maru. It can never be that he didn't live up to his potential. It has to be Kirk's fault. Right, because he doesn't believe in a no-win situation. Yeah. So I think we should probably try to wrap up. Let's um, do it's it. It's really difficult because, mm. boy, do I love Star Trek. And, boy, is there a ton more stuff I could talk about. Sure is. I mean, I actually ended up watching TNG and loving it. Mm -hmm. I love Voyager. Yeah. I haven't watched Deep Space Nine or Discovery. Like, I haven't watched Discovery, and everybody's talked about that. Oh, Nicholas. I haven't watched uh, Enterprise. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nicholas Meyer, the director of this film, was also a writer on this film. He was also a writer on Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. He was also a writer on Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which he also directed. And then he was a consulting producer for 13 episodes of Star Trek Discovery between 2017 and 2018. So it all kind of loops around. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I I know people who don't really like Star Trek who like um, Discovery. Mm -hmm. So part of me is interested in it and part of me is not sure about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's just hard because there's so much content that it's like I will forever be catching up. I mean, I watched TNG like maybe eight to ten years ago at this point yeah. is when I first watched TNG. And then I started doing Voyager. I haven't even made it through all of Voyager. I've started Deep Space Nine but haven't made it that far. So, you know, and then I have Enterprise and then I have Discovery. And it's just like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> because it is all good stuff. But I think for me... The original series and the characters from that are really always going to be my number one. Um, I do think that some of the TNG movies, particularly First Contact, love First are like Contact, super great. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones, I'm not sure, but First Contact kills. Love. Um, and I even like Generations, even yeah. though you know I think a lot of people don't. But you know, I could always just revisit this kind of world and these characters. And it's just so imaginative and interesting and fun to me yeah. that it just won't ever get old, I don't think. No, and I love that there's so much universe out there to explore. Yeah. It's yeah. just like the show. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. even, I would say, my favorite video game is Mass Effect. Um, I've played it through twice, mm -hmm. and I'm in the middle of playing it through a third time. <clears throat> and it's really just Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, it allows me to captain my own ship and be like the space soldier mm -hmm. and, you know, have this huge, like, multi-game mission that I'm fighting. And it's awesome. Like, yeah. I love it. And you're exploring space. You're checking out different planets. And it's just so much fun. And then Mass Effect released a game Andromeda that's kind of a, a different situation where you're colonizing a new galaxy and that one in particular has a lot of um, exploration aspect to it mm -hmm. and at first it had a lot of glitches and people didn't like it but I didn't play it until after it had already been out for a couple years and I was like wow how do people not like this game I love it yeah it's very impressive it was very so much impressive. fun and it looks really beautiful I mm -hmm. just it's a great game yeah and I don't think I'd have that interest in those games if I didn't care about Star Trek so much because they are so trekky it's it's just really cool so yeah. um yeah but I you know I'm sure we'll do another Star Trek of some sort in the Absolutely. future yeah um because yeah with the the reboot series of films uh I really love the 09 Star Trek mm -hmm. and I really love Beyond which is just like a souped up episode almost mm -hmm. it feels like a tos episode that's just like been you know injected with uh con dna or something <laughs> to like really make it superhuman um it's great and then like i said this first contact is good i would talk about that mm -hmm. so you know there's still a lot of untapped 
uh, goodness here with Star Trek that we could get into. Definitely. Um, so tune into our Instagram this week. I'm sure we'll share some of the awesome stuff that we saw at the exhibit from Skirball Cultural Center today, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, some fun facts and trivia. No more brackets for a while, though. No. We can't take we can't take the stress. <laughs> it's just too much for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we hope to see you on our social media. Um, hope that you enjoyed the episode. Uh and gosh, I can't wrap up without saying what food is this movie. You know what this movie reminds me of is maybe like a really good bowl of cereal. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I used to love eating cereal as a snack when I was a kid. Okay. And even as an adult, sometimes you just want like a bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. I have it now with almond milk instead of regular milk. Right. But like Honey Nut Cheerios I like. Um, I like peanut butter puffins. I like some different kind of cereal. And sometimes you kind of just want some. And for whatever reason, I really don't know if it makes sense. Maybe I'll make, you know, some milk, Milky Way thing. Mm -hmm. So 1982 is when this came out, June 4th, 1982, if I'm not mistaken. And what I loved more than anything else growing up, which gives me all the feels, is I loved getting a pretzel from the Auburn Mall. I never wanted any salt on it. I would get it from Orange Julius, and I would get this big, tasty pretzel, and I loved it. And I would just break it apart piece by piece. I absolutely loved it. Always would wash it down with a nice icy Coke. Ah, yes. That sounds really good. It was, and that is exactly... The feeling that I have when I watch this movie because I remember being a little kid and thinking about space and thinking about my friends and yeah. <laughs> That's really good. I kind of wish I had that right now because the big hot pretzel with Coke is so good. It's delicious. Yeah, that sounds really good. We should eat that next time we watch a Star Trek movie. We will. All right. Well, that is it for the Star Trek episode. So... Uh, We will be back next week um, to discuss some sort of Valentine's Day sort of themed movie that we're not sure of yet. Yeah, we like to just keep We like to keep it a mystery now. Sure. It's mysterious. We're mysterious people, you know? We feel like we were just, you know, revealing too much before. We're magicians that don't want to give away our secrets. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, tune in next week uh, to hear some kind of a valentine movie that we're not sure what it will be yet. Yeah. Um, and until then, live long and prosper and stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>